Welcome to the Inside Scoop Live podcast, where indie authors get personal about their books, their writing, and their passions. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Join me for some lively conversations with debut indie authors and seasoned veterans alike. It's a great place to find your next amazing read or even get inspired. So sit back and enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining the show. To all you writers out there, take notice because today you are in for a treat. My guest is Colleen Story, author of Writer Get Noticed. Writer Get Noticed is a strengths-based approach to creating a standout author platform and offers a series of very specific exercises that help writers personalize their author platforms to their unique strengths and personalities. Before we dig in, here's the inside scoop about Colleen. Colleen's story inspires writers to overcome modern-day challenges and find creative fulfillment in their work. Her first nonfiction book, Overwhelmed Writer Rescue, was named Book by Book Publicity's Best Writing and Publishing Book in 2018. And her novel, Lorena's Gift, was a Forward Reviews Indies Book of the Year Awards winner, among others. Her latest release, Writer Get Noticed, was a gold medal winner in the 2019 Reader's Favorite Book Awards for Writing and Publishing and a recent first-place winner in the Reader Views Literary Awards. With over 20 years in the creative industry, Colleen is the founder of Writing and Wellness at writingandwellness.com and Writer CEO at writerceo.com. To learn more about Colleen and her work, visit her author website at colleenmstory.com. Well, hi, Colleen. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Hi, Sherry. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, I've been really excited to talk to you. You've got uh, such a lot of good stuff to share with authors. So uh, to start, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your book, Writer Get Noticed, and what inspired you to write it. Sure. I mean, this book came out, I've been working with writers now for several years. I had a nonfiction book I came out with prior to this about productivity and time management and that sort of thing. Because I I work with writers and as I get in communication with them through my website and through workshops and things, I kind of hear back what they're struggling with. And overwhelmingly, I kept hearing from them about how much they did not like to market their books. And of course, this made perfect sense to me because it's not one of my favorite activities either. Most of us enjoy the creative side. We want to write, we like to edit, we like to publish. But Then when it comes time to actually turning around and having this whole other skill set of marketing the book, of selling Mm -hmm. the book, of trying to get word out about your book, it's this whole different thing. It's really like a second job in a way. And writers are just, you know, they're frustrated because they're not naturally good at this. It's a skill that has to be learned. And they're also uncomfortable with it because they don't know how they're supposed to go about it. it. Do I have to brag about myself? Do I have to you know, tweet a million times a day about my book. And so I kept hearing this from authors. I am just not enjoying this. This this is frustrating. And they were getting really discouraged. It it was kind of reaching into their creative work to the point of them, you know, almost hesitating to put out that next book or, you know, losing some of the motivation to do their work because of this whole negative feelings attached to marketing it. So Hearing that and having gone through it myself as well, I wanted to kind of put together what I had learned about creating a platform, getting yourself noticed, so that hopefully I could help some other writers with this issue. 
Yeah. It's a full-time second job, and who has time for that? Oh, definitely. So, yeah. We don't really understand that at first. My goal was always to, you know, get a publishing contract. That's what I wanted. Then once you have the publishing contract, then you start hearing, well, you know, it's kind of up to you to sell your book, you know. It's like when my first contract came, I was like, really? I mean, how much of this is up to me? And and then I felt kind of really lost about it. And so it's this whole other skill set, and I don't think we understand initially that you know, we really have to educate ourselves on this to be able to feel competent about doing it. Yeah, yeah. So you help authors create their author platform. What exactly is an author platform? Yeah, that's a really confusing thing. I know that when I first heard about platform, I was like, okay, so what is this? I mean, is this a, a website? Is this a, Do I put up a few social media things? And that's how I approached it initially. I got that publishing contract I wanted and they were like, you know, you probably ought to, you know, do some things online. So I start a blog, I do a, you know, get on Twitter, but I had no idea what I was doing. Even today, when you go out there and look, okay, what is author platform? Well, everybody has something different to tell you about what it is. I think the easiest way to look at it is to say your author platform is simply your way of getting people's attention. You have to get people to look at you and what you're doing. And if you're a celebrity, for instance, you have a ready-made platform because everybody already knows who you are and they're already interested in what you're doing. And this is why publishers love to you know, publish books by celebrities because they already have a platform, which simply means they have a ready-made way to get people's attention. So there's going to be all these people already you know, ready and willing to buy their book. But you know, you, me, all of us little unknown writers, nobody knows us. They don't know who we are. So we can write the best book out there, the next great American novel, put it out there and hear nothing but crickets because nobody knows who we are. So why buy the book? I mean, if you think about how you usually buy books, it's usually uh, because it's a favorite author you know, because a friend tells you about it. You, you see this author around a lot in the bookstores us little, you know, our, our little independent authors, nobody ever sees us, nobody knows us. So a platform is simply your way to get people's attention. Okay. And the independent market is just exploding and it's hard to get people's attention. Mm. So, um... Boy, that is an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What they say, I think it was uh, 2018 that Bowker said that they broke the million mark for the first time. And that was just self-published books yeah. in one year. Oh one gosh. million self-published books in one year. And that was like almost a 30% increase from the year before. I mean, yeah, that's an understatement. It, it's, it's exploding. And, and not only that, not only do we have more books out there vying for everybody's attention, we have fewer people reading, you know, because they're doing so many other things. There's so many entertainment venues available to people mm-hmm. that I think I, one of the studies I read recently was that a third of Americans didn't read one book last year. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, we have increasing supply and decreasing demand. Yeah. This is another reason why writers really should not feel as discouraged as they do, because we tend to put it on ourselves, right? When our books don't sell as well, or Mm -hmm. we're not getting that feedback from the market that we want to get, we tend to blame ourselves. You know, I'm not doing a good enough job. Or my, usually what we say is, okay, my book must not be good enough. When oftentimes it's all these other factors. You know, there's so many other things involved. And so somehow amidst all this noise, we have to find a way to stand out and get the attention of readers. 
Yeah. Well, now you use a strength-based approach in helping authors um, in creating their platforms. Why is it so important for a writer to focus on his or her strengths? Yeah, and that is a big part of my approach to helping writers. We have two things working against us as writers, as creative individuals. The first is that all human beings have a negative bias. Scientists have found that we develop this negative bias when we're like seven months old. Mm. It's this fascinating study of infants from one to six months old. They show them pictures of people happy, angry, stressed, sad, and the infant will respond more to the picture of the happy person until the infant turns about seven years old, a little bit older. Then they start responding more to the angry face or the frightened face. Mm. And they find that we start developing this preference for paying more attention to signals of danger or, you know, negative signals, negative emotions. And they think this has something to do with, you know, our need to survive. You know, if there's danger, then we have to be aware of that. But so we grow up with a negative bias, which means that's why you remember that one horrible review way more than you'll remember the 20 positive ones that you got. (laughs) I mean, it's amazing, right? I mean, you look like, oh, I can, you know, tell you what this guy said that was horrible about my book, (laughs) word for word, but I can't, you know, really say, I'd have to go back and reread those positive reviews. Remember that negative stuff, it stays in our heads. The second thing we have working against us is that we're taught from day one to fix what's wrong with our work. So from the very, you know, beginning of my writing career, and I know many others, we're taught once you finish your piece, whatever it is, you take it somewhere and you get it critiqued. You take it to your writing group, you take it to your mentor, you take it to your editor, you have it, your beta reader read it, and they tell you what's wrong with it, mm-hmm. you know, what needs to be fixed. It's not moving fast enough, the characters aren't coming through, you know, clearly enough, the setting is, is uh, I can't really see where we are, the dialogue is not natural, whatever. So we learn to seek out what's wrong, you know, the word critique, we right. go to get our work critiqued, you know, okay, well, what's wrong with it? So we have all this negative stuff in our heads. And I've noticed when I go to workshops, I can ask writers, what don't you do well? What, what do you need to work on? And they can tell me that really easily, mm-hmm. you know, setting, dialogue, characterization. What do you do really well? Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. You know, I mean, from the very beginning, we're not taught, we're not encouraged to find out what we do well. Yeah. Why do people like our writing? You know, what do they respond well to? And oftentimes, even in critiques, somebody will say that, but usually critiques focus on the negative or because of our negative bias, we focus on the negative comments. And so the positive ones kind of get left aside. Well, this puts us in a really bad situation because if you're starting from a point of weakness with your career, okay, there's nothing wrong with working on those and trying to fix those. But if that's where you focus most of your attention, the best you can hope for is to become mediocre. Because you're starting from behind. Right. If you focus instead or put more of your focus on what you do well, start from your point of strength. Then you have a chance of becoming extraordinary. Then you have a chance of sticking out where people are going to notice you. It's sort of like I try to tell people, think of your kids. Mm. You try to bring out what they're good at, right? right? I mean, you don't put the girl that has athletic abilities, sit her at the piano, make her take piano lessons for very long anyway. You make sure that she's out there in soccer or she's out there in baseball because she has a natural athletic ability that you want to build on because you know 
that with that ability, she's going to be able to really stand out and succeed and build up her Mm self-confidence. So it's the same thing with writers. We need to find out what our strengths are. What are we doing well? And then we need to get better and better and better at those things. Because that is where our true potential lies for really becoming extraordinary writers and really finding a platform that's going to be unique and stellar enough that people are going to take notice. Yeah. So starting out with this negative bias, how do we find our strengths? How do we even recognize that? How do you help a writer determine his or her strength? Yeah, I think we have to go about it very purposely because it's not our natural inclination. Our natural inclination is to, you know, see what's wrong and try and think about that and try to fix that, get books to, you know, get better at that, whatever. So we have to do actual purposeful activities that help us see where these strengths are. And I have several in the book that I recommend that people do. Um, One of the most simple that I can talk about here today Mm -hmm. is to simply start creating a chart that contains all of the good comments people have made about not only your work, but about you as a person in general. Mm. Because one of the other mistakes we make as writers is that when we're looking into our platform and how we can create a unique platform, we have tunnel vision. We think only about ourselves as writers. Mm-hmm. Well, we got to remember, we have to stand out in this huge market. So we got to bring everything we are to this. We have to bring all of our strengths to play in creating a platform that's really going to stand out. So we got to go beyond just the writing. What else are you good at? Right. Are you um, a really caring person? Are you good at teaching? Are you a traveler? Can you take people places with you? Are you an artist? Can you embellish your work with your art? Are you an entertainer? Can you get on YouTube and really entertain us with what you're doing? We have to bring the other strengths that we have in. And so one of the things I tell people to do, start with a very simple chart and copy paste down the comments, first of all, that you've gotten on your writing. So maybe an editor said, you know, this, your dialogue is amazing. Or the editor said, I love how you make me care about this character or whatever. You put that down, you put who the editor was, and then you say, okay, what is she really saying? She's saying that I'm good at making people care about my characters. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's something I can do something with. Who else is saying things? And then I tell people to actually ask your friends and family. What do your friends and family come to you for? You're the go-to person for what? You know, do people come to you to help them with the relationship problems? Do they come to you to help them solve some sort of analytical issue? Do they look to you for support? What, what do people come to you for? And as you start asking people and start getting that information back and actually write it down and put it in this file and you start getting a data, really what you're doing is gathering data yeah. on this person that is you. And then you start examining that and saying, okay, what are my major strengths that I'm seeing through this data that I'm, I'm receiving? That's just one way. I have several others in the book that I talk about for how to dig into your life and your experiences to find out what you're really good at. I love that. It reminds me when I worked in corporate America, I used to keep a, what I called a smile file and anything good. Oh. Yeah. Anything good. Someone, you know, if I got a letter from a customer or just a, you know, anything I'd put in that file and then on a bad day, I could take that file out and, and read all these good things and like, oh, okay, things aren't so bad. So I don't know. It just reminded that me of that. That is an awesome idea. I love that. Yeah, the smile file. It's very much, it, and it is very similar. That, that's, that's terrific. And you're right. When we, 
when we get down, we can go back and look at that and say, okay, this is just a little blip in the road on the whole. I'm doing really well. And, and I tell writers just to take it the next step. Once you have all that data there, start analyzing it. Start saying, okay, what is this saying? I mean, think of yourself as a scientific experiment almost, as some other person. Mm-hmm. What does this person do well? What, what is all this? I mean, if you were to take that smile file and go back and look it over and say, okay, so what, what are this person's strengths? Try to get some distance and say, if I were you know, going to hire this person or recommend this person, what would I say this person's real strengths were? And you can look at that data that you've gathered and be able to determine that. Yeah. Yeah, you really do have to look outside yourself because, well, we're so mm-hmm. hard on ourselves. Yeah. And well, and we don't see what we're good at. We really right. don't. We're blind to it because it comes natural to us. Right. So it, it, we really have to do a digging on purpose, you know, kind of a scientific experiment with it to find out because, like I say, you know, we... We go about our lives and we, we know very much what we're doing wrong. But as far as what we're naturally good at, it just, you know, it comes to us. We do it. We go on. We don't think about it. Right. That's good stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Now, you have an amazing author platform. Can you highlight uh, kind of your journey and how you developed your niche? Uh, yeah. Thank you. That's really where all this comes from was my struggle with it personally. As I said earlier, when I got that first publishing contract, you know, I floundered around. I, I did a blog. I put up some social media, but I, I had no idea what I was doing. Mm. And so it wasn't very successful. I mean, I was blogging regularly. I was committed to it and I did learn from it, but it wasn't bringing me readers. And so what happened was I got my second publishing contract from a different publisher that I was super excited about. I was like, man, I've, I've got to step up my game here. Mm. I, I knew more at that point about how much of my responsibility was tied up in selling the book. I didn't realize that the first time. And, you know, some of this was because it was several years ago. We, all of us authors, I think, have learned that we're mostly responsible for book sales now. So I had done some of that learning and I was excited about this new publisher. So I knew I had to step up my game. So I was just brainstorming and thinking, how can I come up with, I was focused on the blog at that point. Mm-hmm. on a blog that would actually attract people, on a blog that would bring readers in. How can I do that? And it was just in one of those creative, you know, I remember I was walking down the street with my mom, we were going shopping and I had been thinking about it for several days. And I finally just asked her, I said, well, what do you think about a blog named writing and wellness? And I had come up with it because of my day job. Uh, My day job is as a full-time freelance writer in the health and wellness industry. Mm -hmm. So every day I'm reading studies. I know a lot about health issues. In fact, when I was talking earlier, what your family and friends come to you for, it's for health advice they're calling me and saying, well, I've got this issue, or I'm not feeling a lot of energy these days, or I'm dealing with pre-diabetes, and I'm the one they talk to. So I'm like, well, have you tried, you know, this herb? Have you tried these exercises? Have you tried XYZ? There's some muscle issues. So I was like, okay, well, what if I combine what I've learned there? Because I've been doing this for over two decades now. Mm. That's my day job. What if I combine that with my own passion and interest in creativity and fiction writing? And what if I put those two together and I'm just, you know, babbling about it. And of course, my mom is always encouraging. Yeah, she says, sounds great. So I went ahead and did it. I just gave it a shot, which is what we need to do. We need to be willing to experiment. Yeah. So I went ahead and put the blog together, put it up, started blogging on it. And voila, I found my niche because nobody else was combining those two things. Right. How do we stay well as writers? How do we stay both physically, mentally and emotionally healthy as creative people? 
Because when you start digging into it, okay, well, creative people aren't necessarily the healthiest <laughs> people out there. You know, not only do we struggle physically because we're stuck to the computer all the time, but we struggle emotionally and mentally because of all these challenges. Mm-hmm. So it ended up being, it just hit in the right place. Nobody else was talking about it. People were interested in it. And so I started getting more readers to the blog. I started getting more subscribers and things took off. It was like I found my niche. And when you find it, you'll know it because people will respond. Right. And uh, I think one other piece of that is one thing that writers forget to think about is your reader, your customer, if you want to put it that way. We tend to be way too internal. We're thinking about ourselves and our stories and hoping people will like our stories. When creating a platform, we have to say what's in it for them. Why would they want to come and read my stuff? What am I offering them? How am I helping them? And that's, again, when our strengths come into play. What can I do to help other people? Uh, When you're looking at your strengths and you're analyzing all these different ways in the book that I'm helping people find their strengths, it's with the purpose of saying, how can I contribute? How can I create a platform that will help people? Because we have to help our readers first before they will start to be interested in what we're doing. Right. So we can't simply put our stories out there and think that's going to be enough unless, you know, we have a huge marketing budget behind us. We have to be able to find ways to help people. And so this niche that I created just happened to work. I was helping people, you know, set up their home offices so they weren't experiencing repetitive injuries, dealing with self-doubt, trying to be more productive in their writing lives. You know, always at the forefront of my mind is, is this going to help my readers? Is this going to help people that are in my audience? And so combining your strengths with what people need is the key to creating an author platform that'll work. Yeah, I love your platform. I love the whole idea of writing and wellness because... Oh, thank uh, you. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess because I sit at my computer for eight hours a day or or (laughs) however many hours a day. And when I'm not doing that, I'm behind a book reading, you know, and and so it's, right. I have to make myself get up and get out and do stuff. And it's not always easy, but, and there are many days where I'll find an excuse not to get up and do it. And, and, (laughs) but you know what? Yeah. And that's so easy, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's so easy. But the days that I do get up and go for that walk, I mean, I feel so much better. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the main thing that, that excites me about my platform. And that's the other thing that, that we need to find in a platform is one that, you know, that keeps you inspired and motivated. And this one definitely has for me. Yeah. When we are well, when we are physically, emotionally, mentally well, our work flourishes because of it. I mean, in the simplest fashion, think how much work you get done when you wake up with a headache or when you're fatigued and tired and when you're depressed. Yeah. Uh, when you have self-doubt about your work. How much work do you get done? We are really our most productive, prolific, creative when we're well in all three of those areas. Mm-hmm. So that's the other thing that excites me about it because I see it in my own life and I love hearing from other writers when they see it too. Yeah. Now you say in Writer Get Noticed that an author platform can save you. What do you mean by that? Yeah, this was what was surprising to me. And I think many authors would be equally surprised when we're first presented with this idea that we have to build a platform. And of course, we don't have to, but we feel like we have to (laughs) because we want to sell books, right? And we're told that we have to pitch in if we want to sell books. But it feels like this heavy load, you know, it feels like this difficult thing to do. 
And I came at it with that point of view initially. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to write. I just wanted to do my stories. <laughs> but when I pushed myself and when I found this niche, I started getting feedback from readers. And feedback for a writer is like water to someone on the desert, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's what we live for. We get discouraged when our books don't sell because we're missing half of the equation. We write to be read. And, you know, there's the debate. Would you still write if there was no one around to read what you were writing? We might. But how much more fulfilled we are, how much more rewarding it is when there are people there who are reading and enjoying what we're giving. Because really, when we write, we are giving of ourselves. We're presenting, what, you know, here's, here's the best of, of who I am. And we're hoping that it will touch other people. It's a gift from us to them. And so when that half of the equation is missing, it's no wonder that we get depressed, that we have doubts, that we wonder if this is what we're supposed to be doing. An author platform can save you from all of these negative feelings because the second you start getting even the slightest feedback, someone comments on your blog, someone signs up for your newsletter, Someone emails you back after a newsletter and tells you that it touched them. Mm -hmm. Someone says, oh, you know, your book looks interesting. I'd like to give it a try. You start getting these little nibbles, and that's the way it works. You build a platform. It's not like you build a platform and suddenly you sell 5,000 books. That may happen to some people, but for most of us, it's a gradual, slow building process, right? So when I started getting that feedback, when people started responding to what I was putting out there instead of feeling like, I mean, I know a lot of writers because they haven't found their niche yet. I feel like they're just shouting into the void. They're putting out blog after blog after blog and nobody's paying any attention. Mm-hmm. When you start getting the readers, you start getting the feedback. It encourages you to no end. It gives you energy oh, yeah. uh, and it, it inspires you. So, you, you know, you go back and you do more and you blog more and you write more. And my platform did that to such an amazing level. I would not be talking to you today. I would not be writing nonfiction books for writers if it wasn't for my platform. I was a novelist and still am a novelist, Mm -hmm. but I was thinking primarily only of being a novelist, never had even considered being a nonfiction author Mm. until my platform. The platform opened up all kinds of facets to my career that I never could have expected. I mean, I got my first speaking invitation off my platform. So your platform, when you do it right, when you bring your strengths to it, when you create a niche, when you, when you serve your reader, opens up that type of feedback for you. And when you get that feedback, you start to grow even more as an artist than you would without it. If I did not have a platform, I would still be writing novels, which would be great. I would still have growth in that area, but I would not have been able to experience all these things that have come from my work with writers and with other creative artists. And I can't even imagine that looking back now, but, you know, going into it, I never could have foreseen it. So if you find that niche, you find that platform really works for you, you start getting that feedback from people. It can save you from, you know, the self-doubt, the discouragement, the feeling like you're shouting into the void. It can also help you broaden your career. It can help you give more to your readers in different ways than you might have ever expected you would. Absolutely. Now, you also talk about using the three-brain decision-making system to build an author platform. What is the three-brain decision-making system? (laughs) Kind of (laughs) intriguing name, right? (laughs) Who has three brains? 
<laughs> I love talking about this just because I found it fascinating and because I think as writers, as we're building our platforms, and even as we're just moving forward in our careers, we often have to make big decisions. Uh, everybody has to make big decisions in their lives. But I think, I know personally as a writer, and I've talked to other people, there are times in your writing life when you have to decide if you're going to take a risk. For me personally, it was, you know, one, one of the risks was, do I leave my full-time corporate job to go freelance? And there was a lot of, you know, things that could have gone wrong mm -hmm. with that move. And I think writers face those kind of decisions a lot. Do I cut back on my hours at work so I have more time to write? Do I invest in myself in a workshop or a conference? Do I change jobs so I have more time to focus on writing? Do I take out a loan maybe even to help support myself while I get this off the ground? There are a lot of decisions we have to make when it comes to our writing careers. And making decisions can be really difficult. And in my research, I came across this fascinating finding that scientists are now saying that we have three brains in our bodies, essentially. They used to think that the brain controlled everything. So the brain told everything else what to do and when, and if the brain wasn't operating perfectly, then the other things you know, don't work so well. That's kind of been the thinking. Right. But lately, they have discovered that the nervous system goes both ways. There's what they call an enteric nervous system that goes from the gut to the brain, for example. Millions of nerves in this enteric nervous system, and it, it's communicating not only from the brain to the gut, but what was interesting that they found was from the gut to the brain. So you have communication starting in the gut hmm. and then going to the brain, and you also have communication starting in the heart and going to the brain as well as, of course, all the communication coming from the brain and going out. So what they've done is kind of called, for lack of a better word, the heart and the gut, other brains in our bodies, because they have found through studies that the gut will know something before the brain will, and the heart will know something before the brain will, because of how it responds. They hook people up, you know, to these uh, wires and everything, and they find that the heart is responding before the brain knows what it's responding to. Mm -hmm. And the same with the gut. So these researchers, they got a hold of this information and they created a leadership theory based on the three brain system. And the theory goes like this. We often, in our big decisions in life, focus mostly on the brain. What do we think? What's the right decision? But what is often missing in our consideration is the heart and the gut. What does the heart think about this decision? And they were speaking mainly about big corporations, big companies. Mm -hmm. So a big company may say, well, you know, we need to make more money. So we got to cut back. And so let's cut off all these employees. Well, what does the heart think about that? You know, the yeah. heart doesn't really like that idea. Yeah. We don't want to lay off a thousand people. And what does the gut say about that? What's our gut feeling about that? Is that the right decision? And so they started encouraging business people to use all three brains when making a decision like that. And I found in my life that this has been tremendously helpful because it turns out that like with anything, all of us tend to prefer one of these three brains over the other. You're a heart person, you're a head person, you're a gut person. And whichever one you tend to prefer most is the one that drives most of your natural decisions. 
That makes and sense. I found through my research that I was a gut person. I'd be interested to know what you think you might be. Mm. But I was a gut person because I would go with a decision would just feel right. Mm-hmm. And if somebody would ask me, well, well, what's your reasoning behind this? I couldn't really tell them because that's a brain question. You know, I can't give you my reasoning. I can't give you the analytics. Right. But I can tell you, I feel this is the right decision. And every time I've gone with that, it's turned out great. Huh. I know other people in my family are heart people. They go with their heart. They go with their relationships. They go with their feelings. I asked my mom, I said, if you were considering a job, what would you consider most? If you didn't really like the people where you were going to work, but it felt like the right job for you, and it was a good salary and everything made sense in the facts and figures. And she said, no, I don't think I'd do it. For my mom, she's a heart person. Mm -hmm. If the people aren't right, if the relationships aren't right, that's not a good decision for her. Mm-hmm. If it feels right, that would be a good decision for me, but probably not one for her. Yeah. So as you go through this and you figure out which one you are, and I help you do that in the book, are you a gut, brain, or heart person, then you learn to use that as your main decision maker, but then you also tune in to what the other two are saying, and that can help you make the right, the best decision. Whenever I've had to make a big risky decision in my life, that has really helped that system. Because then I can say, okay, this has got to be the right decision for me and, and go forward. And every time it's worked out great. Yeah, that is really interesting. I, I want to read some more about that. I found myself thinking, well, there are many times when I'll say, well, my heart would say this, but my head would say this. And then I'll go ahead right. and make the decision that my heart says, because I'm a heart person. I already <laughs> <laughs> We just ignore it, right? It's like, well, heck, I don't care what the other one says. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and, and I, I was always going to say, as I'm talking to you, you're a heart person, aren't you? I was going to, because you kind of get that feeling. I was thinking, okay, that's what she's going to be. Um, yeah, I mean, we can help ourselves by tuning into what our less preferred brains might say. I know when I went to freelance, one of the things my brain was concerned about was whether I'd, of course, be able to make it financially, mm-hmm. if I'd have enough clients to stay afloat. And I was leaving behind the corporate job, you know, my benefits and my salary and the security and all that. So understanding that, I knew, okay, well, I need to put aside several months of savings and that will make my brain happy. And then I can do what my heart and my gut want to do. So considering the other two can be helpful if you can put some, you know, things in place that will make those other brains a little bit less freaked out about whatever decision you're making. But yeah, going with your main one is always the right way to go. I I tell writers, never go against your primary decision maker because you'll be unhappy and won't work out well. So if you were to go against your heart, for example, you wouldn't be happy. wouldn't be the right decision for you. Right, right. Very interesting, huh? Yeah, it's fascinating research. I, I thought it was really cool. And, and so I included it in the book, you know, toward the end as mm-hmm. authors, you know, figure out what their strengths are, figure out what their platform is, what their author theme is, what their mission statement is. And they have, you know, they're ready to go with this. And they want to make some decisions about how now to move forward. That can really help that three brain system. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I want to go back a little bit to wellness, writing and wellness. So what is the single most important piece of advice you can give to authors as it relates to writing and wellness? And you said it a few minutes ago, get up and move. Ah. We are far too sedentary. But the other reason I say that is after 20 years of being a health and wellness writer, over 20 years, and I'm still doing it, I read studies every day. If there's one fountain of youth, it's exercise, beyond a doubt. When we move everything in the body is happier and everything in the brain is happier. Mm -hmm. They're now finding that exercise protects your brain too, which we writers really care about. 
we want to be writing our stories far into our 80s and 90s. The way to do that is to make sure you're moving. And that one-hour workout out of the day, they now know is not enough. If you're sitting the rest of the time, and we have to really be honest with ourselves about how much we're sitting. It's not only when we're sitting at the computer. It's when we're sitting down to eat. It's when we're sitting down to watch TV. It's when we're sitting down in the car commuting. We are sitting, 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 and it's, it's accelerating our death. I mean, mm-hmm. studies have actually found that the more you sit, just over six hours a day increases your, your risk of death by 40%, according to one study. Yikes. And when you think about it, all of us, I'm sure, sit six hours or more a day. The right. solution to this, they've found in studies, is get up and move more often. So it's not only about that one-hour workout, which is still important. You still need to get that heart rate up, sweat a little bit. But in addition to that, every 30 minutes, I encourage writers to set a timer or to use a small glass for water or something so that every 30 minutes you're getting up and moving around. They found in one study that the people who did that, every 30 minutes, up, move around, do a few jumping jacks, go out and take a quick walk, whatever, get yourself moving a little bit, turn on the music and dance. Just a five-minute break of moving means the difference for your health. Because the people who sat beyond that did much worse in their end results than the people who were getting up every 30 minutes. So if you want one health tip, get up every 30 minutes, move around, do something active, and then go back to whatever you're doing. Yeah, yeah. So I want to find out what's next for you in terms of your writing. Do you have another book in the pipeline or what do you have going on? I do have a couple, actually. I just finished my most recent novel. It took me about five years. It was a tough one, but uh, I just finished it, and I'm now shopping it around. I am working on a new novel, and I'm also working on a new nonfiction book. And that's going to focus on finding meaning from your writing regardless of whatever else happens. I think writers are really struggling today, especially with all the things we've talked about, the flooded market, the difficulty getting attention. Mm-hmm. Um, they're struggling with, you know, as they try to find readers, is this worthwhile doing? Should I still be doing it? I- I've heard that a lot, and mm-hmm. I've felt that myself at times. And so that's what my next nonfiction book is going to talk about. What are the reasons to keep going with writing, no matter what else may be going on in your mm-hmm. life? So yeah, I actually have yeah, t- two different books I'm working on, and uh, then the one I'm shopping around. Nice. Yeah. Busy lady. <laughs> right. Never a dull moment. One of the benefits of, of the lockdowns we've had is that things have been really quiet and I've actually had time to really dive into some of these other activities. So right. Yeah. at least a been... silver lining there, right? Right. Hey, you got to find them where you can, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, Colleen, it's really been a pleasure learning more about you and your work. And I, I really appreciate you sharing all these great tips about author platforms. Well, thank you, Sherry. It's been a great pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for joining me today for my interview with Colleen Story, author of Writer Get Noticed. You can learn more about Colleen and her work by visiting her websites through the links posted in the show notes. And while you're here, be sure to check out a few of the other interviews on Inside Scoop Live. 